Well, it's great to be together this morning. It's great to worship God together. Uh, I'm picking up the second in our new series, Paradise Loved and Lost, from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, which we're working through over these next weeks. And this morning, I'm going to be focusing on one verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going to be, uh, the talk this morning is entitled, The Breath of Life. And uh, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 to you uh, in the Christian Standard Bible, and it will come up behind me on the screen. This is what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. I'm going to read that again. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have breathed life into us. And I pray today that the Word of God would breathe life into us again by your Spirit. Come and speak to us, speak life to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, each one of us has one of these. It's a birth certificate, and uh, a birth certificate tells, well, th- uh, this is mine, and it will tell you where I was born. I was born in uh, the Lydia Bynan Maternity Hospital in Kyleon. Uh, it's now uh, part of... Uh, the Celtic Manor Hotel. So if you drive past it, you can think that's where Steve was born. Uh, Back in 1962, it tells you the name of my parents. It tells you where they lived. It tells you the street that I lived in when I was born, in Pengam, near Ababargoid. It tells you a lot about me. Tells you, explains a little bit about who I am because it tells you about my parents. When we read Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it does something similar. It speaks into the really big questions of life Where do we come from? Are we the result of a random accident? Is there more to life than our physical existence? Why are we the way that we are? It's here that we find the explanation for the origin and the purpose of life. The verse makes clear that we're no evolutionary accident. It is God who has given us His gift of life. And a little later this morning, we're going to spend a bit of time uh, uh, reflecting on the impact of Adam's rebellion and how God has reversed it all through Jesus. But the first thing I want us to see this morning is that we are the result of intentional design. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust. If we need an answer to the question, where did I come from? Here it is. We were created. We didn't arrive on planet Earth as a result of alien activity. 
I remember when I was a little boy playing with a guy called Sean Evans on the street, and uh, I talked about going to church and about God, and I remember him saying, I don't believe all that. We came from aliens. We're the result of alien activity. And I just remember being bemused as a little boy uh, playing football. I believe that God formed us, and I still believe it. We didn't just happen. I don't know if you ever uh, go around to uh, someone's house for a meal, and when you get there, the table's laid, and it's all uh, laid just so. And they produce this meal, and it is amazing. And you say, wow, that is amazing. And they say, oh, it's just a little thing that I threw together. I'll tell you, if you were eating something that I threw together, you wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> it's clearly been intentional design. Someone has worked hard. They've worked to a recipe. They've created something out of raw materials, and they have made something that is amazing. Intentional design is all over it. It's a ridiculous thing to say it just happened. And yet, don't we do something similar if we argue that the origin of life is just the result of a random explosion of gases? Surely the staggering beauty, the amazing perfect balance in the universe, alongside the intricate complexity of the natural world and the amazing uh, complexity of the human body, they point to the existence of a creator, one who made us. And the Bible says that God formed us, made us out of dust. The name Adam means from the ground. And the word, the Hebrew word for formed speaks of intentional design. A little later in the Bible, we come across a word that comes from that same root word, and it's the word potter. So when we come to uh, 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 Jeremiah chapter 18, I was reading that this morning, and it talks about a potter making out of a lump of clay some pottery. That is the same word. Just as a potter takes clay, puts it on a wheel, wets it, spins it, and works on it with his hands, and he molds something that is beautiful and intricate, just so God has created us. It speaks of a gradual process that's been undertaken with great accuracy. As one person put it, we are carefully designed by a purposeful creator. We are no accident, whatever we've been told. I remember hearing someone I know well recount hearing his mother say that she never wanted him. I remember hearing someone say that. I want to say the Bible says that is not true. You were created by a God who loves you and wants you. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8. Yet, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. 
We are all the work of your hands. God is our potter. He created you and he created me. So if we've been designed, what's the blueprint? What was in God's mind when he formed us? In Genesis chapter 1, we've been already told that we are created, made in the image of Almighty God himself, male and female. God may have spoken animals into being, we see in uh, verse 24 of chapter 1, but when he formed us, when he made us, he was far more involved. It's as though the God who is spirit and has no hands, it's as though uh, with metaphorical hands he took us and formed us and shaped us. It's as though he got his hands dirty when he created us. The 18th century commentator Matthew Henry says, his workmanship exceeded the materials. An ordinary lump of clay, earth, stuff of the ground. God made you and he made me. We're made in the image of God. And our response should be to worship God. We have been made intentionally by the maker of heaven and earth, And our response should be to worship him. It says in Psalm 139, verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. What about us? Every day when we wake up, we ought to come before God and say, God, thank you for the way you made me. We should be grateful for the body he's given us, for the eyes he's given us, for the ears he's given us, for the faculties he's given us. We should thank God for the way that he has formed us. We are the work of his hands. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made by intentional design. The second thing I want you to see from this verse is is the impartation of life. And God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. God didn't give us life by waving a magic wand. He breathed life. God breathed into our beings. In Job 33, verses 4 and 6, it says this, The Spirit of God has made me, And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. I am just like you before God. I was also pinched off from a piece of clay. God breathed into us. Michelangelo on uh, his uh, Sistine Chapel painting, he depicts it as God's finger reaching out and touching the hand of a lifeless Adam. And imparting life. God is personally invested in you. We are unique out of all of God's creation. God made us. He breathed life into us. He breathed his life into us. 
in Ecclesiastes verse 12, verse 7, it says this, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. When we die, we return to the God who breathed life into us. That's why we have that phrase at funerals, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We are from the ground and we return to the ground. That's where our bodies go. But our spirit returns to the God who gave us life. God took of the ground to make us, but he breathed his life and spirit into us. And when he does that, when we return, when we die, our bodies return to the ground, but our spirits go to the one who gave us breath. Life is precious, and we should make the most of every moment. There are many people in these days who are troubled and almost despise the life that they have. We're hearing of increasing suicide rates amongst younger people. There's talk all around of assisted dying and the government changing the regulations. I want to say to us, God has given us life. Life is the gift of God. We ought to be thankful every day for the life that God has given us. In Psalm 150, verse 6, it says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Have you got breath in your lungs? Then the psalmist says you should praise the Lord every day. However you feel, God has given you life. The God who created all things gave you life. You know, we, we understand the science behind the processes that explain, for example, the color of our eyes, why we've got brown eyes or blue eyes or green eyes. We increasingly understand the human DNA and the secrets of it. Yet, I want to say to you, we, we will never truly have control over life itself because it's the gift of God. Ultimately, it's God who makes us and forms us. In some of the earliest writings in the Bible, in the book of Job, we read, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty, that gives anyone understanding. Your ability to understand and to comprehend is a gift of God. It is the breath of God that has been breathed into you. That's what it means when it talks about Adam became a living being. That's why we're different to animals. God imparted his life into us. It's what enables us, us to understand and to think and to manage and to make rational decisions. More than this, we have the ability to relate to God himself. We were doing that in the worship. We were, we were worshiping God who is our Father who made us. We have the ability to obey him, obey what his word says. We have the ability to serve him and live our lives for him. We have the ability to worship him and praise him for who he is and what he's done for us. We also have the capacity to understand ourselves a bit and to relate to others in the natural world around us. 
The life that God imparts is more than just the ability to breathe in oxygen. We receive the ability to understand, to appreciate, and to communicate. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 reminds us of the wonder of God, what God did when he created you and when he created me. Sadly, it didn't last. last. Our world, the world that we live in, is far from idyllic. Man's relationship with God has been severed. The capacity to understand ourselves is lost in a sea of confused thinking that we see all around us at the moment. Broken relationships are everywhere. We see a jarring disconnect with the amazing, beautiful world that God has made. What's gone wrong? Thirdly, this verse reminds us of the impact of sin. As Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 unfold, we see Adam disobey God, what the Bible calls sin. Adam was still physically alive. He was still physically alive, but he was spiritually dead. The living relationship with God was severed. And whilst Adam lived and breathed oxygen, he spiritually died. The life that God intended was lost. Adam's relationship with God was now filled with fear. He'd lost sight of the fact that he was God's son, created in the image of the Almighty. His relationships with his wife and those that came after and the world around him were tarnished. Sin damaged everything. And today we see the impact of sin all around us in all sorts of ways. We see it in hereditary diseases, genetic malfunctions. All of us experience ill health and all of us one day will die. You see, the problem is we've all inherited Adam's sin. And we all experience its impact. We may think that we still, as human beings, function at a high capacity, yet we are far from what God created us to be. Sin has severed our relationship with God. Now we see everything. We see ourselves through the filters colored by this world's culture. No wonder our views of who we are are so confused. Ultimately, our battles over gender and identity and our dissatisfaction from how we look are signs of us being disconnected from the only one who knows us, who understands us, and who loves us deeply. Just like the potter with a lump of clay, God had the right to make us the way he wanted In Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Paul says this, Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? The world says it's our right to be able to change our appearance and choose our identity. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16 says, We have no right to tell God he doesn't understand what he's doing. 
How dare we say to God, the creator of all things, you don't know what you're doing. I don't like the way you made me. You see, despite sin's impact, that's impacted the way we view ourselves, the way we view the world, the way we view God, God still loves us. And he loves you. You see, our distorted view needs reshaping. What we do with our body is important. Education, greater self-awareness, even trying harder is not the answer. The answer is in a reconnection with God. And yet we can't solve the sin problem and find our way back into relationship with God. Are we doomed to live in this maelstrom of confusion and pain that we see all around us? I want to say the good news. From the moment Adam sinned, the good news is that God planned to rescue, redeem, and restore his creation. He knew that he would send, one day he would send his son to save us, to rescue us. Jesus was born just like us. God imparted human life to him in the virgin's womb. It's why Jesus was untainted by Adam's sin. He was born of a virgin. Jesus lived in perfect relationship with God. Jesus was completely confident in his own identity, who he was and who God had made him to be. He had no difficulty in loving people or loving the world around him. Jesus was the perfect man. Paul calls him the last Adam. He took the punishment of a holy God for our sins so we could be forgiven. Death could not hold him. Sin could not pin him down. A sealed tomb could not keep him in. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and opened up a new way into relationship with God. Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The impact of sin was great. But Jesus has dealt with it all. And the proof that Jesus has dealt with it all is in the last thing I want to share this morning. The indwelling of the Spirit of God. If you've ever read or seen the, uh, 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 the Narnia films by C.S. Lewis... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you will know the story of this, the, the witch, the white witch who uh, casts a spell, her spell over the world. And the world is frozen and cold. And when they fall, people fall under her spell. She can, she can turn them to stone, almost like turn them to their hearts to ice. And there are numbers that have fallen under her influence and C.S. Lewis is talking about the impact of sin and what sin does to our hearts and how we become hard 
to God. And as he unpacks the story, the Aslan, the great lion who is C.S. Lewis is, is introducing Jesus. Jesus, Aslan comes and breaks into Narnia and comes and he rescues, he dies, but comes back to life and he rescues people who are under the spell, the impact of the white witch, and he breathes on them. He goes amongst these frozen, hard characters and he breathes on them and life comes to them and life returns. And all that the white witch intended is broken. And C.S. Lewis was reminding us that what Jesus has done, he has come and he has opened up a way for us to be restored to God. But it is the Spirit of God that is breathed on us that brings us to new life. As we read through the Bible, we see that throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Promises that one day God would come again. And in a valley of seemingly dry bones in Ezekiel 37, we read one day God would knit them back together and breathe his life over them and they would come to life. People who were dead to him, his people would come alive to him again. Jesus' resurrection has opened the way for that to be possible. Jesus has promised that when he returned to his Father, he would send his Spirit And then a prophetic act of what would happen a few weeks later on the day of Pentecost. The resurrected Jesus, as we heard a few weeks ago, has his disciples in a room and he breathes over them and he says, receive the Spirit. This promise of the Holy Spirit is Jesus' promise for his disciples on the day of Pentecost. And it's his promise for us today, people of every generation who have put their trust in him. You see, Jesus is promising us a taste of paradise, life to the full in these days. In a world that's full of confusion and turmoil over who we are and why we're here, the right way to live, the the right attitude to have to the world around us, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God afresh. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse Verses 17 to 19. This is what he says. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength and he goes on to say and the working of his mighty strength is like the power that raised Jesus from the dead the truth is we will never find our true identity in this world without coming to the one who knows us and made us and loved us We will never appreciate and look after our bodies properly and until we truly grasp that our bodies, Paul says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We will never love people as we should and the world that God has placed us in unless we have the mind of Christ by the Spirit of God. 
We need to be people who receive his spirit. We have been created by intentional design. God has imparted his life-giving spirit into us. He has overcome the impact of sin through his son on the cross. And when we put our trust in him, we can receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come and indwell us, live with us. Not for a moment, but for every moment of every day. And whilst we live in this messed up world... We can know God with us. God wants that for you. You know, we're living in strange days. 18 months of COVID. We're seeing disconnect, people disconnected, people dry, people separated, people struggling to know and believe that God loves them. People feeling lifeless. God wants you to know that he can take a valley of dry bones. He can take lifeless, disconnected, dry bones. He can take lifeless dead people and he can come and form them and knit them together. The God who intentionally designs can work on us and work on our communities, on our streets, on our workplaces. And God can come and he can breathe his life into them. And we need to be a people who carry his spirit into the workplace into our streets, into our neighborhoods. Can our city live? Can my street live? Can God do that in my workplace? Yes, he can. But he needs us to be people filled with the Spirit, where the Spirit of God dwells. And wherever we go, we carry his presence. And his presence brings life. As we speak out life over people, It breaks into people's hearts and changes them. The band are going to come and join me on the stage and I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to sing a song together and then Angie's going to lead us in a time of response. But this is a moment where you need to receive of God. Maybe we could stand together If you know that you need an impartation of the Spirit of God today, why don't you just reach out your hands to Him? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, the living God, and we ask, I want to say, Father, that you are the life-giving God, the God who gives freely of His Spirit because of what Jesus has done. And Father, right now, I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon hungry hearts. Lives that are feeling maybe a bit dry, like dry old bones. Maybe people that are feeling disconnected. Father, come on them and start to knit them again into 
your body, your people. Come and bring encouragement and hope. And Holy Spirit, come and bring life. Jesus, you came that we might know life and life to the full. Holy Spirit, come right now. Living God, the great potter, come breathe on us, move on us. Fill us afresh today, we pray. Amen.